0: Today's scripture reading comes from Psalm 27, and it's printed in your bulletin. Psalm 27. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and foes, it is they who stumble and fall. He will lift me high upon a rock, and now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me, and I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing and make melody to the Lord. Hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud, be gracious to me and answer me. You have said, Seek my face. My heart says to you, Your face, Lord, do I seek. Hide not your face from me. Turn not your servant away in anger, O you who have been my help. Uh, you know, I wasn't here last week because I was uh, I was speaking at a retreat. Uh, but I heard uh, I heard the positive things about the message. But this fall, what we're doing is we're looking at the Psalms, and we're trying to we're trying to look at the Psalms because we're hoping that it will equip us to learn how to bring these various experiences, human experiences, to God, whether in prayer or whether in meditation. And the Psalms give us a language to be able to do that. So we've kind of been touching on some things and some human experiences that maybe we're not sure what to do with it in terms of our prayer lives and in terms of bringing it to God. We looked at things like sorrow. We looked at things like anger. And today we're going to look at a very powerful human experience. We're going to look at this topic of fear. Uh, fear is Fear is a huge thing. And sometimes we realize the power that fear has over us sometimes we don't fear is kind of like water it's it's everywhere and sometimes the waves are small and so we feel its presence and even though we might not be greatly affected by it we know it's there but sometimes a wave of fear is like this big tsunami and it can have this debilitating effect and can really destroy us and some of us can avoid facing our fears but others have to live with it and face our fears every single day Some of us are not aware of our fears, but others of us, we have this very deep, intimate knowledge of our fears and we feel like we're enslaved to it. Uh, And the list of things that we can be afraid of is really endless. We can be afraid of spiders, we can fear commitment, we can fear failure. We can have a fear of public speaking, we can have a fear of germs, we can have a fear of heights, we can have a fear of confrontation, we can have a fear of being vulnerable, we can have the fear of being alone, and on and on and on and on it goes. There's a lot of things that we can be afraid of, and depending upon your particular fear and the severity of that fear, it can lead to all kinds of things in life, and it can also lead to all kinds of uh, trouble in life. And just like a wave can drive us towards a certain direction, fear has this power to drive so much of what we do in life. And if we're not aware of it, then we will continue to allow it to drive us and to control us. Fear and anxiety is, I think, of particular interest in our cultural context. This past week, I don't know if you uh, read the New York Times Magazine, but there was this really long article called, Why Are More American Teenagers Than Ever? suffering from severe anxiety that's the title of the article it's a good read if you're interested in it and it's a good read because one of the things it does is it helps you enter into the world uh, of a teenager and the kinds of things that they're going through and the intensity that this kind of fear and anxiety can fill them with and one of the profi- persons profiled in this piece is a teenage boy named jake and he recognized that he had this huge fear of failure and it really debilitated him to the point where every time he thought about school every time he got to school, he would just be severely anxious and he would end up in the nurse's office because this anxiety is something that kind of overtook him. I didn't know this, but <clears throat> you know, I thought rates of depression were very high, but apparently in the last decade, anxiety has overtaken depression in terms of the most common reason college students seek counseling, anxiety. Uh, I think a decade ago, it was about 50% of the counseling reasons were about anxiety, And the other, I guess, 50% was about depression. But that has shot up to 62%, according to this article. And uh, there's been a lot of research on things like depression, but there actually hasn't been that much research done about anxiety. And part of the reason that may be is because uh, fear is something that is so universal and something that everybody has that maybe it doesn't feel like this big issue. But it's becoming a big issue, especially amongst a lot of young people and perhaps even some people in this uh, congregation. Now, in the article, a few people interviewed suspect uh, trying to give reasons why has anxiety increased so much, and they say uh, a lot of it probably has to do with social media and smartphones because uh, they correlate uh, very, you know, very precisely actually when the smartphone came out, and <clears throat> some people say it's helicopter parenting, but even the teenagers who are using all this technology. They, they they, know, and they say, yeah, you know, it's probably social media and being on my phone all the time. That's probably the culprit as to why uh, I have so much anxiety. You know, after I read this article, you, you know what it did to me? Ironically, it gave me another reason to be afraid, right? Uh, I thought about the younger generation, and I even thought about my own children, and it made me a little bit fearful about the future, if uh, so many uh, young people are experiencing such severe anxiety and don't really know what to do with it and how to handle it. And, uh, you know, my wife is a teacher and, you know, (laughs) anti-anxiety medications being prescribed left and right. What's going to happen to us? What's going to happen to our society? What's going to happen to our young people? And uh, as I was like, thinking about that and just kind of fearful of the future. It struck me, the irony of it is this article about fear and anxiety is making me a little bit fearful and anxious just reading about it. But, you know, even though fear may be of uh, particular interest to us because of the rise of anxiety disorders, fear is not a new problem. Fear is something that has been around uh, for a very long time. Fear is also a very big topic in the Bible. If you just simply do a, a search in terms of Uh, fear or anxiety or any related topic in the Bible, you get hundreds and hundreds of uh, search queries that come up and passages that talk about fear. You know, the Israelites had an issue with fear and it made them want to go back to Egypt. They said, we would rather be slaves in Egypt than go to this land that God promised us. King Saul had an issue of fear and he was afraid of the opinions of the people and so that led him to disobey God. Jesus talks about fear and anxiety and says, do not be anxious about your life. Peter talks about fear in the context of Christians who are being persecuted, and he says, don't have any fear of those who are persecuting you. You see, the Bible is very interested in this topic of fear because fear is closely intertwined with faith. Fear is a sign that we don't really believe in the power of God or the goodness of God or the love of God. Fear usually means that we struggle in our ultimate trust of God. And that is why it is important to understand our fears because what it ends up doing is it it creates a window by which we can see and analyze our own hearts and what it is that our hearts truly long for. Because our fears, what they do is they tell us our heart's deepest desire. Uh, Our fears tell us that which we are idolizing and saying this is our supreme salvation, and our fears tell us what we believe in terms of what we really think we need and what we ultimately trust. And so as we are, we're trying to put together this album of songs that we can pray, that we can sing when we're uh, experiencing a variety of human experiences and we can draw from some of these psalms. And so today we're going to look at Psalm 27 and some of you may not be familiar with Psalm 27, but uh, a lot of people may be familiar with Psalm 27 because this is probably one of the more famous psalms in the Bible. Uh, It's a psalm of David, uh, and it's a very rich psalm, and because it's so rich, we're not going to be able to cover it in its entirety, but I do want to focus on what David does in this psalm, and there's three things I want to point to. I think the first thing he sees is the harsh reality of the world. The second thing he sees is he he does is he affirms the attributes of God, and finally he prays, and he prays that he would see the, the beauty of the Lord. So we're going to look at those three things. So first, he he sees the harsh reality of the world. Starting in verse 2, David outlines some of the reasons why he's afraid, and he says, when evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh. And then in verse 3, he says, though an army encamp against me. And then later on, though war rise against me. And if you look at those words that are being used, he's saying more than if these things if these bad things happen to me but what he's saying is this when these bad things happen to me though these bad things happen my heart shall not fear and i will be confident and when we talk about life i think we tend to suppress the fact that life can be very harsh and that things do not go well all the time and part of the reason is that we don't confront the fact that the world can be a very harsh place is maybe because we're afraid to confront that reality and we're not really sure what to do when we face that reality. Very interesting one of my old professors in seminary uh, a professor that Fred and I both had, uh, he would uh, one of the things I remember him saying is he would talk about Pascal and Pascal, uh, you may know him from geometry Uh, (laughs) Pascal was a mathematician but he was also like a philosopher and a theologian and he wrote this His famous work is called, I think it's pronounced Penses. But anyway, in this work, uh, he says something really interesting uh, about entertainment. And he asks this question. He says, Why do kings, men who have everything, why do they have court gestures? Why would they waste hours of time being entertained by these court gestures? And why would they spend time in the presence of fools? They're kings. And he asks this question, and this is his answer. He says, "The man who still has everything still worries about losing everything he has." And so therefore, he needs a distraction. Uh, it, even a man who has everything has to even think about his own mortality, and one day he's going to die, one day everything is going to be lost, And so he needs a distraction. And that distraction comes in the form of entertainment and court gestures. You know, Entertainment offers a distraction so that we, we don't have to think about our own mortality, so that we don't have to think about the harsh realities of the world, so we don't have to think about all that we lose. And I think entertainers know this, which is why every time there is a tragedy, which seems to be more frequent, right, right? where you watch these late-night shows and they all have to address it in the beginning of their show, and the most recent one was Las Vegas, and they're always saying, uh, you know, they address the, the harsh reality, but then at the end of it, heres I mean, they know what their job is. They say, but we know you're tuning into our show for a distraction. We're not a news show, so we're going to do our best to entertain you, to distract you from what is going out in the world, and to give you a little bit of relief from all the harsh realities that are going on out there. And that's typically the, the statement that they'll make, and they know their job. Their job is to offer a distraction for uh, the people for the viewers who are watching. And one of the reasons we turn to entertainment, and think about entertainment is like such a um, its like a billion-dollar industry, and it uh, does so well. I think one of the reasons we turn to entertainment is because we prefer to be distracted and from confronting the, the harsh realities of the world. So when harsh realities confront us or the potential of harsh realities confront us, I think our natural response is to kind of lie to ourselves and say, well, things will work out for the best. Things will work out in the end. And if that's, if that's the best that we can hope for, then there are going to be a lot of people that are going to be crushed by the burdens of life because you can't say that to anybody who was there in Las Vegas who experienced what they experienced. You can't say that to their family members that things will work out in the end because they've already experienced things not working out for them. You can't say that to anybody who had friends or family in the Twin Towers. You can't say that even to a person who's facing a late-stage form of cancer. You can't assume that things will always work out at the end. And you see David here, he assumes something about the reality of life. He knows that it is harsh. He knows that there are people who are trying to kill him. He knows that there are armies who are after him. And yet even though these things are a reality and even though these things are, he, these are things that he is facing, he can proclaim that there are still good reasons to not be afraid. What are those reasons? You know, the solution to fear, it has to be more robust than just wishful thinking. The solution to fear can't be, let's, let's hope that the best will happen because in life it doesn't always turn that way. Uh, you know, this summer, a few of us went on a short term mission trip to various countries. And uh, I don't know, you might judge me for doing this, but <laughs> before we left, uh, I wrote down all of our uh, bank information and financial accounts information and the password and login. And I gave it to my wife. And I said, just in case something <laughs> happens, right? Uh, here, you should know, you should have all this in- information. And, you know, it freaked her out a little bit. She's like, you know, I'm not sure I want you to go. What if, like, something happens to you? And, uh, I mean, you know what I said? I said, I don't think anything's going to happen to me. I think it's still pretty safe. But I can't guarantee it either. So just in case something happens to me, you got to have this information. And her, her, one of her biggest fears is probably, like, me dying. And uh, I think, like, she really worries about that kind of stuff. And so I said to her, you know, <clears throat> if that is your deepest nightmare, I cannot guarantee that, That won't happen, but here's what I can guarantee: that even though your worst nightmare comes true, God is still powerful enough. God is still strong enough. God is still good enough that He will be with you and He'll He'll help you get through it. And you know that can sound a little uh, funny or a little bit trite uh, if you don't mean it. But if you do mean it, and if it is a reality of who God is, that makes all the difference, does it not? That though you experience your worst nightmare coming true, your biggest fear coming true, that God can still be with us and he can be strong enough to hold us. And this leads to our second point. You know, while the psalm is able to acknowledge the harsh realities of life, he, he also acknowledges very good reasons to, be, to not be afraid. And David can still say, my heart shall not fear and I will be confident. Why? Because he's reflecting on the attributes of God. In verse 1, he says, the Lord is my light and my salvation. And then he goes on to say, the Lord is the stronghold of my life. And when he affirms these attributes, he's also telling us that these things are meaningful enough to him to help him during his time of trouble so that he doesn't have to be afraid. You know, one of the commentaries I read, it said light is a natural figure for almost everything that is positive, everything that is good from things like truth and goodness and joy and vitality. And conversely, darkness represents all that is bad. And and you have this imagery in the Bible. And you, you see it used in various ways. So, for example, in Isaiah 60, it says, Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For behold... Darkness shall cover the earth, and thick darkness the peoples, but the Lord will arise upon you, and his glory will be seen upon you. And you have this, this imagery of darkness over the earth, but the light of the Lord will come and overcome and overtake it. And that imagery is used to show us that God is powerful, God is strong, and he has the power to lift the darkness because he is glorious light. In a place like New York, we're not actually used to, I realize this because I was at a retreat last week, and it was like up in the woods, away from civilization, and I was walking uh, on the path, and there's no light anywhere, right, aside from the building windows, but there's no street lights, there's no other lights. so uh, they had this campfire, but it was like a ways away from the, the building, so I'm trying to find the campfire, and I'm just walking, and it is pitch dark And you can't even, if you go like this, you can't even see your hand in front of you. That is how dark it is. In New York, we're not really used to walking like that because... Uh, there's light everywhere. Uh, the buildings, you, you go anywhere, there's going to be still some light. But when you walk in darkness like that, you realize how important light is. And, you know, I got out my phone, and I got my flashlight, and I was able to see where I was going. And it's kind of like a saving grace. And it's, it's that kind of imagery here that I think David sees. And God is light, and therefore, if God is light, then he can, he can alleviate that which is dark, the greatest darkness Psalm ninety. Sorry, I still have this lingering cough. Psalm 88, uh, one of the darkest psalms in the Bible. I'm not preaching on it uh, this fall, but Psalm 88, one of the darkest psalms in the Bible, and it ends by saying something along the lines of, Darkness is my closest friend. Right. Darkness is my closest companion. And that is a way of expressing the depth of, of sorrow and depression. When darkness is your closest friend, there is no hope and there is no strength. But David here, he's affirming something very important about God, that though darkness may be my closest friend, God is light. And therefore, his friendship, which he offers in Christ, is everything. It's everything. Second thing David affirms is that God is his stronghold. And that means God is our ultimate security. He is the one who protects us. And we may think that means God protects us from bad things happening to us, but that is not necessarily the case. Uh, You often need a stronghold because enemies are attacking. And David is saying, even though my enemies will attack me, God is my security and my stronghold. Even though bad things are going to happen to me, God is my protection. And there's this picture in Zechariah 2 where God says he will be a wall of fire around Jerusalem. And back in the day in the ancient world, walls are built around cities uh, in order to protect the city from attacks. And the vision in Zechariah is a city without walls because God says he will be their wall of fire around them. He will be their ultimate protection. And that's kind of what David is getting at here, that God is his stronghold. He will be his ultimate protection. Therefore, if God is for us, who can be against us? Therefore, what reason is there to be afraid when God is with us? You know what the, uh, the present, what's present at the root of all kinds of fears? <clears throat> it's, it's a failure to recognize that God is our ultimate security. You know, when you're afraid of failure or if you're afraid of being alone or if you're afraid of commitment or if you're afraid of a lack of finances or whatever it is you're afraid of, you're saying this, Something has greater power to be my security than God himself. That means when you have whatever it is you're afraid of losing, you're giving it power and you're basically saying to it, you are my security, you are my protection, you are like my salvation. And that's ultimately building a, a house on sand that's ultimately going to collapse. Do you really want to say to a person, you are my security and my protection. You want to say to a person, "You fulfill me and you give me significance." Let's say in the context of a friendship or a romantic relationship, or even in an employee relationship, that would put a, a crazy sense of burden on that person. That that burden cannot ultimately uh, that that person cannot ultimately fulfill, and you end up being disappointed. Do you want to put that kind of trust in your employment, really? Do you know how easy it is to either be deeply unsatisfied with your work or to lose your job? There's no security there. And many of you are probably in the prime of your careers right now or you are about to enter it. But think about what if you're in your late 50s, your early 60s, and what if you lose your job then? At that point, is it easy to find another job? And perhaps you realize this is not my ultimate security see, whatever it is you think will be your stronghold in life, if it isn't God, then all it is is a false sense of security. And so what do we do? How do we pray? And this leads to our final point. David prays for something in verse 4, and he says this, One thing have I asked, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. That is his prayer. Now here's a question. What does gazing upon the beauty of the Lord have to do with fear? And the answer is quite a lot. Quite a lot. You may not realize, realize it, but fear is, is intimately tied to our desire. And because of that, fear and temptation are basically two sides of the same coin. Temptation or lust can be driven by this desire to obtain or to get something that we do not yet have but fear is oftentimes driven by the desire to not lose that which we already have or think we already have. So for example, uh, when you're make, when you're afraid of making a life change, there are desires that are playing our hearts that are flaming the fire of fear. It may be this desire for control, to know what lies ahead, to know the future, to know what's going to happen, to know that this is the best choice, this desire for certainty or for comfort or security or status or personal fulfillment, or all these numbers of things. And then when, we, when it comes time to make this huge life change and fear overcomes us, it's essentially this. We're afraid of losing that which we already have or think we already have. And so how we deal with fear, it actually is intimately tied to the question of how do we deal with desire in our hearts? Desire that is wild, desire that seems to control us. And the prayer here gives us the answer. We need to be exposed to a greater beauty, an infinitely greater beauty so that our desires will be properly ordered around the glory and the beauty of God. You know, notice here David is not praying. He's not saying, one thing I ask that you change my circumstances. One thing I ask is that my enemy stop pursuing me. One thing I ask is that all these bad things that are going to happen to me, that they don't happen to me. And that's often how we pray, and it's not wrong to pray that. It's good to pray that. But David prays an entirely different prayer, and he says, one thing I ask, that I may gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. Have you ever had an experience of intense beauty, that you've been in the presence of something incredibly beautiful, maybe even just a taste of it? Maybe you went to uh, some mountain range or some waterfall or the grand canyon or something and you say wow creation is so beautiful maybe it's uh through a song that you listen to and you just tear up because you say that song is so beautiful have you ever had an experience with intense beauty go back to that time and think about it and think about what happened in your heart at that moment and perhaps in that moment you're in that season of life uh, you're afraid you know of various things Uh, you want a promotion, you want more money, you want a job, you want a relationship. And at least in that moment, I think what happens is because you are so captured by the beauty of something that those desires seem to fade away. And when those desires fade away, fear fades away along with it. The example I like to use, <clears throat> maybe not appropriate for a sermon, but I think it, uh, it illustrates it so well, is the, from the movie Eight Mile with Eminem. <clears throat> Uh, in that movie, his character had an issue with fear, so much so that uh, when he's going to battle, <laughs> right, rap battle, he uh, he can't even get the words out and he kind of chokes and it's his turn to go and he can't say anything. That's the beginning of the movie. And uh, there's just so much pressure and his success, uh, his way out of uh, living in a trailer park, His the solution to all his problems is for him to make it uh, in, in music and there's just all this pressure built up that when it comes time to perform, he can't do it because fear has overtaken him. You know, the theme of the song that he wrote for the movie, I think it's, it's very true. And he says this, you have to lose yourself. You have to lose yourself in the music and in the moment. And my, my interpretation of that, right, is you have to get so lost in the beauty of the music at that present time that you kind of forget about... Uh, all of your fears, you forget about yourself, you forget get about all this pressure that you're putting upon yourself. And, <clears throat> you know, that's an illustration, but it's also a sad illustration because if that's the best that the world can do in terms of beauty, then it's just simply a counterfeit version of beauty and it really doesn't last. It's actually not beautiful enough to sustain our hearts and to transform our hearts. The world's version of beauty, ultimately what it's trying to do, it's trying to imitate God's beauty, but ultimately it falls short and it fails. Whenever you envision uh, the good life, and whatever you envision it to be, that good life will never, ever compare to the life in the the presence of God. Whether it's... uh, Super successful career, whether it's to find a spouse, whether it's to have a family, whether it's to have a nice house or condo or a nice sal- whatever your vision of the good life is, it pales in comparison to the life that David is asking for here, to dwell in the house of the Lord all of his days. And so how do we come into the presence of such beauty? Well, how is David's prayer answered How do we dwell in the house of the Lord forever? How do we gaze upon his beauty? How do we become exposed to the very beauty of God? And the answer is the gospel. The answer is in the crucified Christ. You Think about beauty, beauty and glory, holiness. uh, Many of these concepts are oftentimes related, interrelated. You know, in the Old Testament, such intense glory is actually a terrifying thing for the people of God. Because sin has no place in the presence of such glory, of such beauty, of such holiness. And when sin is removed, that is the moment in which we can now come and be able to enjoy the glory of God and not be terrified by it. And you see what the gospel says is Jesus Christ came down and he, in a sense, took the ugliness of our sin. He was shunned from the glory of God so that we might be invited in. It took his, his life, his sacrifice for us to even be able to come now freely and say, now we can come and enjoy, not be terrified of the glory of God, but we can come in and enjoy the glory of God and see its beauty in its fullness, perhaps not in this world, but certainly in the world to come. And that's why I think worship, <clears throat> worship, worship, can be some of the most transformative moments in our lives. I think when we sing and experience the beauty of God in a powerful way, at least in that moment, it has the power to reorder the desires of our hearts. And when we can forget ourselves and we can be so enchanted by the beauty of God and these desires for other things begin to fade, I think one of the things we notice is our fear associated with those desires begin to fade as well. You know, why are um, missionaries some of the most courageous people? I don't think it's anything in and of themselves. But I think they're some of the most courageous people because they have experienced the beauty and the glory of God in such an intense way that it gives them this boldness and this sense of, I'm not going to be afraid because God is with me. I'm not going to be afraid if I lose comfort, if I move away to this country, if what happens to my kids, all of these things, because they have this intense experience with the glory and the beauty of God And I think that's what we need. And I think that's what we need to experience. You know, if we live in an age of greater anxiety, the solution's not going to be medication. The solution's not... Have you ever heard of this technique called mindfulness? Uh, I just heard about it this past week. Um, My sister emailed me about it uh, because I guess in her school they're employing this technique, mindfulness. You know, these might help to alleviate some of the symptoms uh, of, of our anxiety but it never is able to get to the root of it. Because what we ultimately need, every human being, every person, what we ultimately need is to dwell in the presence of the Lord so that we can be captured by His beauty, that our hearts need to be taken captive by His beauty, that our desires need to change, desires need to be reordered. And only then, I think, do fears subside. Fear is probably one of the most powerful forces that holds us back in terms of doing that which God is calling us to do. Fear is probably one of the most powerful forces in which why some of us may be living lives of disobedience. Fear is probably one of those most powerful forces that cause us to chase and to pursue after all of these things that are ultimately not that important in the end. And here is the wonderful promise of the gospel truth that once we are able to cast out that fear, once we are able to experience the beauty of Christ, then we will be transformed, and there is no limit with respect to what God can do through us. What are you afraid of? What are you afraid of losing? If you lose it, if your worst nightmares come true, know this that even if you were to hold on to it, it pales in comparison to a life with Christ and being in the beauty of Christ. And let's hold on to that. Let's pray together.